if you're in sales, right, no one cares about you or the product that you're selling. They care about their pain point and how you can help them overcome it. And if you can or if you can't, right, it's not about it's not about you. Welcome to a slice of SaaS, your go-to source for insights on SaaS revenue operations. Today, we're joined by Brian Mueller, who is the founder of the B2B consultancy Monarch, who shares his insights on the power of simplicity. So join us as we discuss why going back to basics can be one of the most impactful decisions you've made when it comes to business growth, and not to mention giving you a much higher success rate when it comes to the adoptions of new processes and tools such as your CRM. Let's get started. So Brian, I know that you are very much into going back to basics and simplification, something that I am also a very strong proponent of. So it would be really interesting to start by hearing, like, what was the trigger for you here? Like, when was the time where you just felt like, okay, enough is enough. Let's go back to simple and take it from there. Yeah, I think, you know, it all, it all started. It was a cold Wednesday, early spring, little overcast. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I think there was, there wasn't this like specific moment, but I think what happened is after probably about a year, year and a half of consulting and kind of just jumping in and helping organizations with the things that they were working on. Um, I kept trying to pull everyone back to basics and simplification and how do we align around, you know, customers and organizations rather than aligning teams internally. Um, and I think it was just accumulation of, Hey, I was doing a lot of the same things in different orders for um, the companies that I was working with. And I needed to create this structure and this framework that helped them change their mindset. But I do think there is a key, a key clarification that we need when we say back to basics and simplification. Um, when I think of simplification, like simple is not easy. Simple is actually the harder route um, and it's taking a complicated process or system or whatever that might be and editing out the things that aren't needed based off the stage that we're at and making it simple and smooth and going back to, um, you know, getting that really honed in on how we go to market from there. So I would say it wouldn't be an aha moment or like one point in time, but accumulation of watching organizations struggle with, you know, the same things and figuring out a way to, to shift their mind into a, you know, a different way of thinking about it. Yeah, no, but I, I really like the the thought you had there with uh, like simple does not mean easy because that's exactly, I think that's why it's so hard to do it because you actually need to pick, like you have 50 or 100, 1,000 things you could be doing. What are the most important things that you should be doing first? And it's probably easier for most to just go, I'm just going to be a little bit this, a little bit of that. And then I don't need to make a decision. And Based on that, you never really, you know, get to do anything properly. And like what you, we talked about here with going back to the basics as well, like focusing on the boring stuff, because the basic stuff is usually the boring stuff uh, for, for a lot of people. And again, that's not like, that's not exciting in the same way, I think, as some of the, the more kind of fancy things. I, I agree. I think there's a... Um, there's a lot of really useful and uh, great information coming down from organizations like Meta and HubSpot and Gainsight that are providing these like really, you know, um, 401 level things that we should be doing within organizations. And I think they're right. Um, but I don't think every organization is at the stage of HubSpot or Gainsight to be able to start executing those. 
Um, I think one of the biggest things when I think of like back to basics is this idea of aligning your organization, not internally, but aligning the entire organization around your ICP and your persona and the customers that you serve and working customer in rather than function out, right? So how does the customer dictate your processes and how you go to market and so on and so forth. Um, but I think a lot of it is like, I've worked with a lot of SaaS organizations and a lot of organizations and I can go from team to team and ask, who do you sell to? Who are the personas? And I get a, a widely different answer from one, you know, one individual to the next. And I think that clear definition of ICP and persona has to be the starting point of getting back to basics. Yeah. I mean, I usually find that, you know, going and asking multiple different people and like that's, I'm a really big fan of that kind of a, a little survey to more than just the people you work with, because you get so much interesting information there, especially in terms of alignment. And as you said, it's very rare. I mean, we're both uh, ex HubSpot uh, and yeah. The kind of alignment that HubSpot, like, of course, it's not the only reason they had amazing product market fit. They had a good product to solve the right kind of problem. Right. But there were so many things in there that HubSpot did really, really well. That is still mm -hmm. super viable also. And I like that also with what you mentioned with Meta and Facebook. So for a lot of the smaller companies, like don't copy what HubSpot is doing now, maybe but copy what they did five years ago, because there's a lot of good stuff in there as well. Uh, and they really got a lot of the basics right. Um, and the persona. Well, Andreas, yeah. if we go back to the personas, right? We yeah. were both ex-HubSpot. You, you know, we are thousands of miles away. I'm located here in the Midwest in, uh, in the U.S. And I can guarantee, do you remember HubSpot's personas? Do you remember who they yeah, were? Yeah, like marketing Mally, Mary, sales Steve, and owner Ollie. <laughs> Exactly. And w I can guarantee you, you go to the 7,000 employees that HubSpot has right now, I, I'll, I'll put 90% of my money that 80% of the people at HubSpot can name those exact personas that you did, right? And we're across the globe in different areas, but it was so naturally ingrained in the organization that you know we all know the pain points, how what the day in the life of that persona looks like in the organization. And I, I feel like, a, and I get want your opinion, like a lot of the organizations that I work with, the persona in the ICP is, it, it almost feels like a throwaway exercise because they want to get to, I want attribution reporting and I need sales funnel metrics and closed source to track back to where I put my money and things along those lines. And no one knows who they're selling to, right? You go ask seven different people on the sales team and they're all giving you a different answer of who they, uh, who they work with and who they sell to. Right. And I think that's where you go to this 401 stuff that, you know, the Facebooks and the HubSpots and things of the world talk about. And they didn't start there. Right. They, they're there now. But we need to get back to basics based off where you are as an organization. And that's just knowing who your customer is. Right. And ingraining that. And I call it finishing the swing into the organization of taking those personas and really building your whole organization around them. Yeah, no, but I, I do agree that the persona, I mean, very classic also in uh, my, the old agency I worked with that was more kind of a traditional inbound agency. Like the, everyone had a persona from before because they knew they were going to do it. And it was always a case of, yeah, we created it. We never looked at it again. And then we did a new persona. I, okay. I was, 
I was more in the sales part, so I actually cannot comment on how much or little we used it there. Um, but it was very common that it was a throwaway exercise, most likely because some people know they have to do it. So it's more about checking the boxes and saying we did it than actually thinking about like, what is the outcome you're looking for with this? Like, why do you do the personas? Why do you do the ICP in the first place? Is it to tick a box or is it actually to looking from a customer's perspective, how can we create a really good journey for the specific people we want to talk to, daring to not talk to everyone? And I think that's another thing as well with the communication and positioning. That's a whole different topic. But companies are so afraid to be specific in the communication because they think if I don't address every single pain point that everyone have, like we have imagination. Like if I see a chat tool, like I can think about use cases for that, that you don't have to specifically write about. So just because you don't write everything doesn't mean that you lose everything, but it also means that you're just confusing if you try to cover everything. And if your persona is everyone and your, 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 um, mission is sell to everyone and solve everything it's like it's not very specific and not very useful yeah what's what's the saying what's the saying sell to everyone sell to no one right you need to i a lot of organizations that i and you might be able to correct me on that quote there that i work with they're hesitant they're like oh but there's you know there's revenue over there like i don't want to like not sell to them um and I understand that there's this, there's this, you know, natural instinct of fear of missing out on like the potential of the opportunity or the revenue that could be there. But if you get hyper-focused and streamlined on who you, who you sell to, who you, who you serve the best, who you actually can have an efficient process of servicing, it is, um, it's a game changer when you get back to that basics. And again, I call it finishing the swing. So like a tactical thing that we do for organizations is as they build out their persona and like who they sell to an ICP, we go into HubSpot, we work specifically with HubSpot, is we will build workflows and do persona tagging and so on and so forth. But we bring up this sales view of the world for sales reps. So they can, you know, imagine a world where you pop open your dashboard and you say, okay, here is Marketing Mary at this life cycle stage. And typically, you know, her pains are at this point enroll in this sequence or send this specific messaging. And now they can block and tackle based off that persona and ICP getting operationalized into the organization. Um, But this brings up another point that it kind of goes back to my aha moment of like where, um, where things like how to articulate this. So there, there's a tennis book. Are you a tennis player? I was, I, that's, I, I, I really miss playing tennis. It's one of the things that I have such such cravings for. Uh, Really? I was, yeah, I haven't done it for like 10 years now. And my, my rackets got stolen actually story for another day, but they all got stolen and I need to buy new ones. And then I never got to it, but yeah. I, so I am not a tennis player and this, but the book is called, um, extraordinary, extraordinary tennis for ordinary tennis players. So they, they explain this idea of the winner's game and the loser's game, right? And I think this goes back to our analogy of like, don't do what HubSpot's doing now. Don't do what Meta's doing now. And they articulate it in the way that like the loser's game is kind of amateur, is amateur tennis. And 80% of points are unforced errors, right? So all you have to do in the loser's game is get it back over the net right, is make sure that you focus on the basics and let the other person make the mistakes, right? So you don't want to create those unforced errors. And I think of that of like when you're starting out is 
understand your customer. Just get the right message to that right person at the right time, right? You don't have to have these like beautiful shots like Serena or anything like that. And then when you get to the winner's game, right, 80% of points are made off these like masterful shots, right? You're, you're past the basics and things like that. But your winner's game is you have to execute with absolute precision and like these shots that nobody else in the world can, can create. Those are the, that's the HubSpots, the Salesforce, the Metas. The, they're there, right? You should not be going and trying to make these beautiful shots. That's where you're going to have an unforced error, where you need to play, understand what game you're in, which is the loser's game for how they phrase it, and make sure you get the ba basics done. You execute, execute with discipline and consistency. You let the other people make the errors, right? You let the other startups in your world try these masterful shots and fall and miss, right? And then outlast. That's where I think it, that that was. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Fire. That was like my aha moment of like that's a really good way to phrase it. Like I think a lot of organizations don't know which game they're playing. Right, they're playing the winner's game when they should be playing the loser's game and focusing on just get the ball over the net. Right, just get the ball back over the net. Um, so that 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 helped me understand or kind of put in my mind like a frame of like, where are we? What, what should we, should we be focused on like this very detailed attribution reporting at this stage? Probably not. We should be building the foundation that we can report on that stuff, but what we're prioritizing, right? We, if we do everything, we do nothing well. So what we prioritize right now is ingraining the persona, getting that customer lifecycle journey fully built out and understood, matching our messaging, matching our outreach with that. And I think it's it's understanding that you're you're starting off in the losers game, making sure you don't make these unforced errors. Yeah, no, I, and I think it's uh, there's so much truth in uh, in in what you're saying there, and I somehow I kind of I kind of like the the losers game analogy there because I mean it's you can get really far. I I remember when I was younger, and you had the, it's called gineta in Swedish, where you just loop the ball. It's like super kind of a you just you just throw it over the net back. Like when you when we you're like thirteen and less, the people who did that game, they were killing it, and it was so annoying because they just got it back, and you made the forced error. So it was really like that, and that, uh, and I was evidently not playing in the top leagues, um, and <laughs> and it won, and I lost those games. Uh, yep. The games you yep. were winning were when the other player tried to do better shots than you, and they tried to make the cool shots. Works every now and then, but. It's not a uh, yes. Geneta, what was it? Geneta. I hope that doesn't Gineta. mean anything horrible in another language. If so, I apologize. <laughs> in Swedish, Geneta. That's that. Um, yeah. I don't actually know the actual meaning, but we called it that. Uh, but also, okay. I like the the thing you mentioned there with um, like in HubSpot, the personas, the basics, and because mm -hmm. there is so much things people are very focused on. Oh, we are only using 10% of HubSpot. I'm like, fantastic. Why do you want to use the other 90%? Like the question yep. shouldn't be, how can we use all of HubSpot? It should be like, what, what are we, like, what, who are we trying to sell to? What are we trying to do? Yes. What's the outcome we're looking for? What is the stuff that we need that will get us 80% there? Let's make sure we get yes. that right first. And for me, some of those things, I mean, um, like attribution reporting, freaking free text where how do you hear mm -hmm. about us let's just do that first before you start with yeah. categories and fancy attribution models like just ask that question 
when a sales mm-hmm. winning a deal or losing a deal, just ask the question, why did we win it? Why did we lose it? And if you can combine that with what you mentioned with a dashboard helping the sales rep, because in the end, CRM is one of your products as a company. It's a freaking yep. key thing that you're building your business around. The sales rep yes. is the customer. If the sales rep is not using the tool, like it's your fault. It's okay. Sometimes oh. it's a sales rep who's horrible, but most of the time the sales rep is not sold on your product and they can't see why they should use it. So they have their spreadsheet. Yes. Yep. I have a, I have a, I have a, um, I'm on a crusade of making sure that leaders and organizations who maybe didn't grow up in sales, look at sales in a different view, right? Um, where they look at it, it almost is like, a, hey, like, let's turn this thing on and like, just you sell, right? You just go sell and like, we should be able to do that. And they don't look at it exactly. And I think there's um, a lot of times I'll go say like to, to a CEO, I'll be like, well, what part of the organization did you grow up in, right? And some of them would be like a product. And I go, how long does it st- take to stand up a product organization? Right, like how long does that typically take? Oh man, it's a, it's comprehensive, right? You have this, you have your systems, you have your your you know all these different things associated with it. And I go, that's the same with sales. But just because we don't know what those systems look like because you didn't grow up there, does not mean that it doesn't exist, right? You don't just plug a person in and they start selling for you. So I think we have to take the same care and rigor with a sales org that we do with other organizations within the business and provide them, and this is where I'm kind of looping back to the CRM side, provide them enablement and training and learning. And we need to invest in sales rather than just looking at sales as a you know ATM machine that's supposed to provide the organization money, right? You need that investment into how do you do this? How do I set up my organization appropriately to operationalize a go-to-market strategy for them to make them want to go into um, into CRM. They need to pop open the dashboard, have a view of the world and understand who's the right person to reach out to, what's the messaging, and how do I get into more conversations? Where a lot of times when I was selling at HubSpot, I'd be in a conversation with my manager, we'd be listening to a call and they pause and they'd be like, Brian, like, who are you talking to right now? Like, who is the persona, right? And be like, well, it's, it's Mary, right? Because we knew the persona so well. Like, okay, talk to me about Mary in general. Like, let's leave this conversation on. What are Mary's typical pain points? I go through them, whatever it might be. It's like, why don't we start asking questions of things that we know are general pains, right? To start opening up this conversation a little bit more. Because Mary was driving our conversation into like this little rabbit hole, right? And it helped me understand, okay, I know who the persona is. It's being ingrained in my one-to-one, right? With my sales manager and being translated into how I run my calls, right? And I think that's finishing the swing on a persona of like fully getting that ingrained. And then also giving these dashboards of like what messaging to what individual at what portion is an, or at what point in their customer journey is another way to continue to finish that swing on an ICP persona, basic, basic stuff, get that right and continue to execute. And that's the thing with that as well, what you mentioned, like it's again, going back to the basics, because what you're focusing on there is like, what are the top three or four problems that this persona typically have? Like, how does that, how does that work on a day-to-day basis for this role? Like, what is the work? Like, what is the day for the person you're trying to sell to? Like, there was another company I spoke with, like they saw very clear differences with sales reps if the reps was interested in the industry and they were 
they liked the industry, they were better at selling because for obvious reason, because they understand, they can put themselves into that industry. They understand the dynamics of the industry and they know the problems. If you just have that and you can drill that in and that goes into so many different things, like that's like the basics get you super far. Like all the top performance at HubSpot, they got the basics right. And they're all telling you, like I focus on the basics the first six months, go by the rules, go by the book. Don't try your fancy shit yet. Go by the rules. After six months, a year, maybe then. Yeah, sorry, Ryan, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. No, and I think it's like, it goes back to, like, even when I think of, like, what a ramp for a sales rep at HubSpot looked like. I was, you know, lucky enough to work in the sales org. I was the global sales trainer at HubSpot. And we really um, focused on measuring how quickly we can get a sales rep to ramp, right, to full quota. Um, And... Uh, I'm not going to share what the the metrics were. I will in a second here, but I get into organizations and they're like, month two, this guy should be, and gal should be knocking on doors and closing deals and getting things going. It took almost nine months to get a rep, a rep fully ramped at HubSpot. And we worked to try and get that down to six months and we measured it and we tried to figure out these trainings and efficiencies to be able to do that. And I think there's this misunderstanding of how long something like that takes, right? Of being able to do it and getting them to focus on the basics for the first six months and getting those fully ingrained and letting this thing build um, and and not overcomplicating what this does and putting pressure on the sales rep to try and achieve in a place where they shouldn't be achieving um, at a certain point in their, their career. But I digress from the main topic that we were talking about, but... No, well, like we, we've, we've done that quite a bit already. So I think let's just keep that rolling. So, so one thing, I mean, as well, like with the, with the sales, like we talked about here and, and we also talked about the 401 versus the 101 of, you know, complexity. It's also like selling. I'm sure you remember when starting to sell at HubSpot, for example, the first minute was trying to repeat HubSpot multiple times and spell out the name and everyone around you were like HubSpot, 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 H-U- it's very different selling in that kind of environment to selling, oh, cool, you're calling, because that was a dynamic three years later. Oh my God, you're from HubSpot. That's really cool. That sales conversation, is, you can't even compare those two processes because they're completely different. Uh, and that's, again, why the 401 is really dangerous and it can take you into some over-engineered solution because that's what the cool kids are doing, even though you're not a cool kid yet. You're just yeah. uh, was it a loser? Was that what you said? <laughs> yeah, it's a loser. You're playing the, book, the losers. What game. the book said. That what the book said. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you're not losers. You're just playing the loser game for unforced errors. But I think, like, and going back to like sports, like, and I think there's no better analogy than like sports or like, like you go to the gym, right? You you lift weights. Like you don't get into the gym and you don't start lifting 300 pounds right away and doing all of that, right? You need to work in work up to it. It is. It, that's how you get injured. That's how companies get injured because they're they're at this you know early stage and they're focused their priorities on uh, attribution reporting. I'm just going to pick on attribution reporting for a little bit because like it's the holy grail of like people want perfection, but that's not like no one's got attribution figured out completely. So just we'll we'll kind of table that for another conversation. But like they're focused on that rather than finishing the, the swing and ingraining it into the sales process, the marketing process, the onboarding process, and everything across the front office. 
Um, so I think it's, it, it's going back to the gym, right? You start, it is, you start at a specific weight, you start and it's disciplined, consistent execution over the long term get you to a place where now you're doing your 300 pound reps. Now you're doing sophisticated um, attribution reporting or automation or whatever it may be in the organization. But you don't get there from day one. You don't get there from year one, right? You, you have to build up to it. It's, it's like going to the gym. It's like weights and being able to make sure you uh, don't overextend your bicep on day three in the gym. Cause you, you know, you think you can lift like the guy next to you. Yeah. And it's, I, I really like that. I also go back a lot to sports, even though I, I, yeah, I do work out, but I don't, I don't watch sports, but I find it to be such a good analogy in yep. so many different ways. And, you know, you can work that there as well. Like if you, even if you've been working out for three years, if you skip the basics tension, you're yeah. still going to get injured. Stretching. Yes. It. Stretching and keeping tension in your body when you're doing it, having proper form, mm -hmm. the basics, you can do more, but you still need to have the basics. And I think that's kind of what we kind of came in intending to kind of dive more into today. It's like the, the yeah. thing they were like, you got to dare to go back to the basics. And even if you are a bit more advanced, you can still go back and fix those basic things while also doing some of the fancy stuff, but just make yeah. sure you get that right. Uh, and as we talked about before, because, uh, Brian had to go a little bit soon because we ended up having a 30 minute pre podcast conversation <laughs> about everything, All things. Um, yep. <laughs> but, um, like drawing out the process as well. Like there's so many that like they skip the persona, they skip the ICP or they have it a little bit, and there is no mm -hmm. journey. There is no process yeah. map and there is no nothing. So when you go in three years later and you say, okay, so what do you have here? What's going on? It's like, oh yeah, we have a document that someone made four years ago and it's mm -hmm. 25 pages and we don't really know what that is. So it's very difficult for anyone to go in and figure out what's going on. And the process is impossible because it's like, I don't know, there is a workflow that does something here, but we don't yes. really know why. Yep. Um, so drawing out the process for me, it's it's a non-negotiable for anyone we are working with right now as one of the first things we're doing after the, why yeah. do you want to do this? Who are you selling to? It's like, yeah. Hey, what's the process? Well, yeah. Who, who are you selling to? And then what is the customer journey that they go through in order to, you know, decide on a solution like yours? So we actually, I, I worked with an organization this is a real life story where, um, we, they, they kind of rolled their eyes. I was like, we're doing a customer life cycle, you know, um, mapping exercise. And, and we, yeah. And they're like, all right, this is, we've done this, Bri. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's just give me the, give me the, the leash to do this for a little bit. Um, and we went through and what we found is the key point that we found, right. We documented, you know, awareness, consideration, decision, all the different steps and then post sale as well. Um, and I go, okay, so when does somebody typically get like frustrated, like, at post-sale, meaning like they're like, dude, I shouldn't have signed up for this. Buyer's regret, remorse, whatever it might be. And they're like, usually at like the three-month mark, um, we people are like, man, I thought I was going to see value. I'm frustrated. We have more support tickets, tick up, whatever it might be. Okay, let's put a process in where if you have a closed loss deal that someone has broke competitor, right, we reach back out at the two-and-a-half-month mark. When we know that that customer lifecycle journey typically has a frustration point based, and we do that and we use that against our competitor, right? 
Now we can implement, because we know what it's like internally in ours, it's probably not too dissimilar from our competitors. And we can put these key conversations in. Now, this was an organization that didn't work within like annual contracts and they'd have to rip and replace and all that different stuff. And it worked beautifully, right? They had a win back percentage that was pretty significant based, well, significant based off zero because they weren't doing it before. They never thought about executing that way. Um, and it was the simple exercise of mapping it out, understanding the frustrations, putting in a new process in order to alleviate that or capture a win back or whatever that might be, and then smoothing out their own. So it was a interesting exercise with like a really tangible, um, you know, ROI that they saw and like um, an output that they saw from it. So map it, talk about it, train it, everything within the organization. Yeah, I did not think you were going to go there with that first statement. I thought it was going to be kind of a retention analysis. And how. No. so that was actually a very interesting angle there that, yeah, I didn't see that one coming, but it's Especially, mm -hmm. yeah, if they don't work with the annual contract, that's a really clever way to, because, you know, if you have the issue, like others have it too, the more unique you feel it is, you know, the less unique it usually is. So that's another exactly. saying, I'm sure, from somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, someone said that somewhere. Someone so said my, that my, somewhere. My favorite saying is, uh, originality is the art of concealing your source, right? So it's just, you know, just don't, don't tell people other people said it. It was from you. Um, and that's, that's originality. I mean, AI is one big, uh, like paraphraser, right. Of, uh, of thoughts, one big copywriter, but yeah. So I think it's, it's, if you get back to basics, ingrain that persona, ingrain that ICP, build it out in all of your processes, make sure your organization knows and understands that align around the customer rather than your internal functions, right. Customer in versus function out and understand what game you're playing, right. You're, if you're playing the loser's game or if you're playing the winner's game, um, know which one it is and act accordingly, right? Based off getting back to the basics and, and what you're going to focus on. Yeah. And, and dare to do the things you're choosing to do properly. Like it's like uh, what we said mm -hmm. before and we talked about before, like anything worth doing is, it's typically worth doing properly. And if it's not, then you might consider actually putting that on the not doing back it. burner for now, at least. And that doesn't mean you never have to do it. Like it's like companies who are obsessed about building a perfect organization from day one. They want to build something that is needed when they're 400 people and they're five. Like, don't mm -hmm. do that. Everything is going to break anyways. Don't worry about it. Uh, worry yeah. about it when you're at 390 people, not when you're five. And I think, and I think plan for like, Hey, okay, we're going to try and we know what we're going for. So we'll bring out, build some motions in there right now, but it's not our main priority, right? It's, and this is the thing you should go, you should be able to go to anyone in the organization and say, who do we sell to? And they should be able to answer. And what is your number one priority in this organization? Right? Cause I think you said, it, well, well, if you have, if you prioritize everything, you prioritize nothing. Right. Um, and if they can't say that you have some getting back to basics to do, uh, within New York. And no matter how big you are, you still need to do the swing properly. That's never going to change. Like the fastest stuff will, but not the swing. It, everyone, everyone I, I is like looking for this silver bullet, right? I, you know, we all look for it. We all want those quick wins and things like that, but there's nothing like getting into the gym, lifting the weights and five years later, someone's like, man, this guy's an overnight success. It's like, no, it was five years worth of, you know, uh, being in the gym early mornings before, when no one was watching me do it. It's the same thing with, it was five years of reaching out to the right people and building that awareness at the right time. And then finally 
people started to pay attention and we started to get it and we built those basics in the new organization. And if your owner, no sleep for five years, that's also the fun part. <laughs> uh, but Brian, I think you, um, you are starting to get late here. So let's just round up with a final question that we, uh, yeah, tend to, to ask everyone here as a final little piece of thought. Uh, so looking at your kind of a journey uh, so far, uh, what's an impact, like an insight that had a b- very big impact on your private and or personal, like private and or professional life? I'm rambling now. Private and professional. I think. Or it doesn't have to be both. No, I think it's, it is both, right? And I think it goes back to what we're saying, right? Um, throughout the whole podcast is the more, it, it's not about me, right? It is the more I um, put myself in somebody else's shoes and understand that, right? Rule number one is don't talk about myself. Rule, rule number one is don't talk about Monarch, don't talk about how about, right? It's about the person on the other side. So personally, right? The more I think about, okay, where, where's my wife at? What is she doing? How much does she have on her plate? And how can I, you know, you know, do the, do the dishes one night where she doesn't have to or whatever it might be? Because that's one thing that she does a, a ton and I don't. Um, and I kind of take that, that perspective of like, it's not about me, right? It's about somebody on the other side. It, it revolutionized my conversations. It's revolutionized how I think about going to, going to market with organizations and how I live my life and my relationships. Um, so I think it's, um, the other person first, then me, um, has been a big shift in my perspective in business and life. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's the putting yourself in the other person's shoes and actually Correct. aim to, what is it called in like how to win friends and influence people? It's like aim to understand before you aim to be understood or something like that. Yep. There's another quote mm-hmm. that I might have gone wrong or right. No, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Sounded right. Yep. Um, and, th- and this is the thing when it comes down to it, like um, if you're in sales, right, no one cares about you or the product that you're selling. They care about their pain point and how you can help them overcome it. And if you can or if you can't, right, it's not about, it's not about you. And I think being, for me, it's actually the most rewarding thing. Like I always think being, being selfless is the most selfish thing you can do, Right. Um, and being able to like give to the other person, man, it's so rewarding. It's so filling right in the, in, you know, my personal life. And then if you take that and bring it into sales and being able to do, you know, uh, help someone overcome their goal and make them the champion, make them the star of the show. That is kind of been a big shift in how I uh, view everything. You make someone else feel good. And we all know how long yeah. you can remember some of those feelings. Like you still remember some stuff yeah. that happened to you or someone who said something 20 years ago. You still remember yep. some of that. Uh, so I, I have a party game that I play where if I'm at a, at a networking place or things along those lines, I, um, I try and see how long I can go asking questions and understanding that person before they know even my name, right? Or who I am or what I do. And there's times where you walk, they'll, they'll walk away and be like, man, that guy was awesome. What's your name? What was his name? Be like, I have no idea. But like, I got <laughs> to like, tell all the things <laughs> that I did. Yeah. But like that guy was so awesome. And it's like, you didn't even say a word, right? You didn't, you didn't talk about yourself. You didn't talk about them. You let them express where they were, what they were feeling. And feels, I love it. It's great. It's difficult though. I found it, I, yeah. I'm really working on this one right now. And I found it, it's incredibly rewarding, but it's also very difficult. 
especially for me, hard. I'm used to talk uh, yeah. and turning that around. It's found it immensely challenging. Uh, but Brian was an absolute pleasure. Um, I think we were a little bit less focused than we planned on initially, uh, ironically, because we were uh, talking about going back to basics, but we were actually talking about going back to basics. Uh, but exactly. absolute pleasure having you on. I really enjoyed the conversation. So uh, hope to have you on again soon. And uh, yeah, have a great uh, rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Ciao, ciao. Thank you for tuning in to A Slice of SaaS and a huge thank you to Brian Mueller for sharing his valuable perspectives on simplifying processes and the importance of empathy in business. I hope you found today's discussion enlightening and that it inspires you to take a closer look at how you can apply these principles to your own company. Until next time.